Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty-Year Lie Written by Daniel Wilcox Narrated by Ian McEwan If nothing else makes this transmission at all, I want to share one simple truth. My name is Neil Armstrong, and you've been lied to. I release my finger from the control panel, count to three, take another deep breath, and repeat the words. You've been lied to. I continue this process for 30 minutes, my hand shaking as I press the button again and mutter into the worn microphone. It's much colder out here, in the exposed, empty surface of the moon. I can barely see the ship's console through the scum that has built on the inside of my helmet over years of neglect, and the biting winds are beginning to kick up dust. I look cautiously around for any sign of them, then, confirming the cratered landscape to be clear, complete my ritual. Repeat the message. When I'm done, I sigh, spin on my heels, take a few long, low-gravity steps, and begin my race back, all the while watching my peripheries for any sign of movement. The scenery still makes me breathless. A vast pool of black in the sky, dotted with a million tiny orbs of light. 
The white-gray rock of the moon's surface puffs and shifts beneath each footstep, causing debris to create tiny mushrooms that move in slow motion. It reminds me of a time long gone, walking in the shallows of the seaside, watching the sand rise and fall beneath the impact of my weight. Only, where the sea used to erase my footsteps, for as far as I can see, I can follow the ones I have made up here. Immortal tracks of thick boots treading into the ground. On my right, I can see the massive shape of the earth. A round canvas of blues, greens, and whites spinning slowly on its axis. I used to avoid its teasing gaze, hating the fact that I'll probably never return. But now... Well, fifty years is a long time. After a short while, I find the moon cruiser, open the airlock, clamber inside, close the hatch, and decompress. I tear off my suit as soon as my frail body will allow, and gasp in the oxygen from the cabin, sweat dripping off my forehead and stinging my eyes. Despite the chill of the desolate surface, any exertive movement in that suit soon warms you up. The space is small, perhaps large enough only for three people to navigate on their hands and knees around each other. Which makes sense, really. That's what the damned thing was designed for. A type of appendage on a larger vessel to act as a lifeboat if things went belly up. In many ways, it has far outlived its purpose. Now, thick greenery takes up roughly half of the free space, creating the oxygen which I now breathe. In those first few days before we became stranded, it was clear that we'd need three core components to survive. Food, drink, and oxygen. You should have seen our faces when we discovered that smallest clump of dirt stuck to the underside of our shoes. A colony of bacteria and cells, ready to be carefully nurtured and harvested. A little brown parcel of potential. Boy, oh boy. Oh, how we thought our luck had changed. It all seems so distant now, the three of us. That colossal moment that we completed the impossible. The dream that I'd had since I was a small child and sat reading comics on my mother's living room floor, wishing that I, like the characters on those pages, could make it to outer space and walk the extraterrestrial planes. Just one man and his suit, alone in the universe, making giant advances in scientific data and immortalizing himself as a hero forever. I suppose, in some way, I've achieved that. Or at least, they achieved it on my behalf. 
When the door hissed and slid open in that fateful summer, I remember the way my heart beat in my chest. Not like it does now in that tired way that causes heart palpitations and flutters, but with a racing excitement at the view before me. I had it all planned out. My speech, my movements, my picture frame moment that had run like a movie projector in my mind. I said the words, I signaled for Buzz to follow, and we bounded around the moon's surface. Sometimes on the particularly low days, I go out to visit the site where we landed and just stare at the marks in the floor, trying to feel that feeling again. That anything was possible. That they hadn't taken off without us and given us the tools to survive in an atmosphere that denies the chance to age at normal speed. Denies me the chance to die a quick death. I finish a quick lunch, pick the gristle from my teeth, and try to stretch. Over time, my body has shrunk. My skin has begun to wrinkle, but not in the way that you'd expect of somebody my age. At close to 100 years old, you'd think that my faculties would have faded and my body would have given up. But that's one of the blessings of this life that I've been given. Every day is a ritual of stretches, workouts, food rations, and attempts to communicate with base on a machine that gave up life in the 80s. Habit, I suppose, is the name of my mistress, the one that gives my life purpose. Oh, and keeping an eye out for them. I'm not even sure what they are. Perhaps I'll never know. But it's thanks to them that I still sleep with one eye open. That I found a way to repurpose my urine. That I found alternate sources of food that, despite my ever-shrinking stomach, never fully satiates my hunger. It all seemed to happen so quickly that even I struggle to remember it all. As I took that one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind, I couldn't keep the smile off my face. I'm sure the cameras would never be able to capture the glee behind the reflective shine of our helmets, but me and my buddy Buzz were elated, high off victory. You know that feeling of watching your favorite sports team lift a title in their home stadium? Imagine that, but magnified a hundred times over. We thought we'd have enough oxygen for an hour and a half outside the ship. Turned out that we got lucky, and that 90 minutes stretched to 120. I suppose it was our own fault for getting greedy. Those extra 30 minutes cost us our lives. But if your mother tells you you can have an extra five minutes before bedtime, you push and push for that extra ten. At first, they were just mere shimmers on the horizon. What could easily have been mistook for a smudge on the screen of our helmets. 
I remember nodding their way and watching Buzz wave a hand as though it was nothing. The moon was uninhabited, that was a fact. Only the smudge began to grow and get closer until even Buzz couldn't deny that there was something out there disturbing the debris on the moon's surface, moving at a rapid pace. We tried to patch into Houston, hoping that maybe a quick scan or a camera check would let us know that we weren't seeing things. They were mighty close, probably no more than 50 meters, before we both turned to see the little LED on the camera's top had flickered off, the radios hushing with static. We ran. The things got closer. As the ship's hatch opened and Collins came out to greet us, they attacked like a whirlwind. I remember feeling myself pulled backwards, flying in the near weightless surface for a good distance before landing with a bump. Buzz drifted overhead, and I saw Collins whack the button for the moon cruiser release before being lifted and thrown by what looked to be men made of glass and water. By the time Collins had landed, I looked up and saw now that the things had taken our shape, had become us. There they were, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, the first men to successfully lead a mission that placed footsteps on the moon. The cameras were back on. The ship's door closed, the thrusters kicked in, and they were off. I don't know how they did it. Hell, I don't even know if there really are any more around here. All I know now is that I am alone. I shuffle inside the moon cruiser and close my eyes. At 1300 hours, it's about time for a nap. I settle down and stretch as best I can, feeling something jab into my side as I relax. It used to smell in here at one point, I suppose. Collins was the first to die, a mixture of panic attacks and malnourishment. When we ran out of foil-wrapped rations, we chanced nibbles on the soil and vegetation that slowly grew under my careful watch. But that wreaked havoc with his stomach, and Buzz and I watched Collins's final breaths leave as he settled in for a permanent sleep. It was Buzz's idea to look around the landing site for anything that might potentially help us contact home. My heart beat fast in my chest when I first saw that those... things had released the communications panel and left it to float back down. Were they intelligent? I'd say so. That seemed like the cruelest thing to do. No power. No receiver. Just a button on a box that used to let us talk to the people on that giant marble. Buzz died shortly after Collins. I discovered then that I had something that the other two just didn't have. 
something that would help me survive and long outlive them, until maybe a day would come when another ship would land and continue the work that we'd started. After all, if we had managed to succeed, surely that would encourage more to continue the exploration. It's not like we could have faked the entire thing. It was a hunger for life that kept me living, and a steeled determination that meant I'd do what it took to survive. In a way, I guess that their deaths were sacrificial. They served a greater purpose. Over the days after they died, their bodies began to inflate as they decomposed. At first, I found this alarming, until I realized that their skin was stretching too, creating more substance matter that I could use. By eating just a meager portion of meat and gristle per day, I am able to keep my body alive with protein. The remaining fluid in their body keeps me topped up on iron and adds some flavor to an otherwise dull diet. I suppose I'll never be rescued now. Maybe I'd given up hope a long time ago. I haven't seen the glass creatures since that day, and maybe I never will again. So, what am I holding on for? Habit, I guess. The next day, before I head out to send my message, I look down at them. The shimmering glass bodies of my fallen comrades or at least what remains. I suppose that, really, it was never their flesh that kept me sustained. Really, I need no sustenance anymore. Whatever those things were gave us the tools for survival in a harsh world. Who knows, maybe someday there will be another exploration, and I'll be able to head back and tell my story. If nothing else makes this transmission at all, I want to share one simple truth. My name is Neil Armstrong. And you've been lied to. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. 50 Year Lie was written by Daniel Wilcox, narrated by Ian McEwen, edited by Carl Hughes with music by Miguel Johnson and Tom Robson. So we've been nominated for the Best Fiction Podcast over at thisishorror.co.uk and we need your help to win it. We need you to go to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash vote and follow the instructions there. And guess what? Here's a little extra incentive. If we win, one or more of us will be performing the Fabled Cinnamon Challenge. That is one big gobble of cinnamon in one, swallowed. And it sounds easy, but if you look on YouTube, you'll see just how difficult it really is. So if you'd like to see that, and would like to help your friendly neighbourhood horror podcast win, go to www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash vote. Until next time.